This podcast may contain explicit language. Welcome to the greatest MCU movie of all time crossover podcast, the show that will use a unique grading style to redefine what the greatest MCU movies are. I'm Tom Duncan. And I'm Adam. So our new crossover series, this is the this is the second half of our first, I guess, monthly MCU project. And we are starting with Iron Man. If you want to catch the first half of our discussion on this movie, you can subscribe to the Circuitverse podcast for that. But we're here now to apply the patent-pending Stanley rubric started by my regular show, Greatest Movie of All Time podcast, to determine the greatest MCU movie of all time. If you've never listened to the show before, that's okay. I'm going to refresh you on all of what the criteria are for each of these categories and Then we will determine our scores from there. We will break down Iron Man's greatness based upon these criteria. So, Adam, Legacy is up first. And just to give everybody a bit of a refresher, we divide this category into the audience and the industry, about half and half, five points each, for a 10 overall score. How do you think the industry stacks up the Legacy on, well, let's even back it up a little bit from there. I'm going to take it within the structure of the MCU overall. I'm not comparing this to any other movies, just against other Marvel movies. So we do have to take a little bit of the totality of the MCU and the Infinity Saga. So how do you think the industry views the legacy of the original Iron Man compared to all the other Infinity Saga movies? Sure. And a quick note too, Circuitverse is what we are on Twitter. The streaming oh. circuit is the name of the podcast, just so people make sure. All to find right, us. I'll change that. My bad. I'm, You're good. You're I good. I should have asked. Follow us on Twitter, though, at the Circuitverse. But the streaming circuit is what you want to look up on Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. But I recommend sticking to Spotify to get your opening half. As far as legacy, this was a tough one, um, especially industry. I went with a four out of five. Okay. I wanted to go five because of how important this movie is, but. The industry, to take it outside the MCU for just a second, does not like these movies. The Academy doesn't respect them. And I think a lot of it is that they're jealous of them because these make so much money. They're so popular. And I think a lot of the industry just looks down on these because they don't make movies that are this successful. I think there's credence to both parts of it, but I would like to limit it a little bit. I think the artful community doesn't care for these movies. And I think there is a part of the industry that likes a much more broad swath of movies that doesn't like how we've basically capitulated to event movies. And these being the biggest ones that draw the most audience. I think, yes, if you're going with the studio system, there's a bit of jealousy in how, let's say, for example, Universal has been trying to create a franchise beyond the Fast series that they can tentpole and create the rest of their business structure off of. And every studio has basically tried to do that. So there is, especially because Disney has the Star Wars series and they have Indiana Jones and they have the MCU and they have all these major IP properties, they have a little bit more to tap into and they've kind of defined what the industry has been 
since the original Iron Man. So basically 15 years. Although I guess, was it 2012 that they took over Marvel Studios with the original Avengers? I think that was the first one where there was truly Disney as the crossover. But even so, that's yeah. a 10 year period. Yeah. You know, 10, 12 years period. And I think the industry recognizes the capitalistic side of these movies and understands what their importance are and how beginning with Iron Man and leading to the Avengers, how much it's changed what movie going has been. Because in 2008, there were a lot more boutique films that were doing well. There were things that were original properties that could be created. There were mid-budget films that were being made and successfully marketed. You could go to a starring vehicle that had you know, a Tom Cruise or a George Clooney or whatever else that was an original story. Now everything is based on IP and spending hundreds of millions of dollars to create in order to get just the base bottom line financially to build your studio's budget around for an entire year. And I think these movies more specifically, and again, starting with this one as kind of the origin point, not the most important movie, I would say, in the MCU as for what the business of it is, but just overall, its importance to creating that structure kicks off. And so I'm going to go for a five. Again, kind of the way we talked about at the end of the first part of this that's on your feed with being the origin point, being the first, the one that sets the table, I'm going to just give it that slight bump up. On the audience side of things, I take a comment that you said in the first half of our show that you are much more ready to view phase three than you are anything from phase one. Phase one was right at the the end of high school, the beginning of college for me. And so those movies, like I remember seeing them in theaters very distinctly in a way that I don't quite have as close of a relationship with some of the ones that came in a little bit later. Obviously with Infinity War and Endgame, I think those were big enough that they created such an impact in the theater. I, I remember certain beats from those movies and where I was and how I saw them, but it's not the same as seeing Iron Man for the first time or seeing the first Captain America in theaters and watching the cutscene afterwards that was just leading to Avengers. Things of that nature. I've seen these movies more than I probably have just about any of the Avengers movies, even though I've rewatched the entire series multiple times in chronological order. With the exception that I, our next movie that we're going to be discussing, I think I've only seen once. But that's next month's thing. So yeah, I'm going to go for a three just to basically mm -hmm. go right down the middle because I don't know how many people, even though I know this gets a lot of play on cable, how many kids are watching cable? And I, I just don't think if we pulled up the data on Disney Plus, Iron Man is going to be like one of the top MCU replays ever. It's going to be Winter Soldier and Civil War, the original Ant-Man. You'll get a, an original Black Panther. Those types of movies, I think, are going to be much higher on the list from an audience standpoint. So I do think that the Phase 1 movies, because they look different, they're presented a little bit different structurally. You can still see some of the building blocks before it kind of gets into that groove that Marvel hits post the original Avengers that aren't quite there. And so the beats are a little bit different. I'm going to go for that right down the middle. So it's an overall eight for me. Interesting. So we're kind of flipped on the, you know, we kind of have inverse thoughts. Industry, just to go back for a second, I think this is probably the highest I'm going to go for a lot of these movies with a four. 
because I think this is like a character study more than any other MCU movie. There's this doesn't rely on visual effects. You know, this is very much character driven. And I think the industry respects that more for the public. I went a five because of something I mentioned on my pod, the home and home nostalgia is a powerful force. And I think MCU fans, when they think of the MCU, the character they think of is Iron Man first and foremost. And the movie they think of is this one. If they think Iron Man, because the other two movies were varying degrees of lesser than this. I'll say that. Yeah. And I think these movies started coming out when I was in middle school. I think I was in like sixth grade when this one came out. I didn't Mm -hmm. actually get into these movies until Iron Man three. That was the first one I saw in theaters. And since then I've seen every movie opening weekend, but I think this movie, people who aren't MCU fans have seen this movie. Like my family has seen this movie probably multiple times. I don't think they've seen any other MCU movies, but they know this movie they've seen it and they liked it. And I think a lot of non MCU fans, when they think of the MCU, they think, Oh, that's the one with Iron Man, right? That one. I like that one. So I think this one has a more general appeal outside of comic book fans. Like you and me aren't going to have this as our favorite MCU movies, but I think non MCU people, a lot of them might. And that's interesting because I hadn't necessarily thought of, obviously I think this is a niche audience that yes, while Marvel films do well, I wasn't really considering anybody that would be broadly outside of that. And that this might be a little bit more of a cultural thing beyond the basic MCU, but that's a nine for you. If I, my math is correct. Yeah. I just think this movie is far more accessible than pretty much any other Marvel movie, you know? Okay. Well, I agree with you there. So that's an 8.5 average between the two of us on the category. Let's move to impact significance. Do you want to start or you want me? Sure. I, I went full on 10 with this one. I mean, this kicked off the greatest franchise in the history of cinema. I mean, so you went five and five again. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Yes, yes, yes. I combined them. Yeah. I think, you know, impact and significance, both. I, this one was huge. It was a big box office hit for its time, you know, compared it to Endgame, It's not, it made pennies on the dollar, but at the time superhero movies, they were coming out, but they weren't like these huge blockbusters. Like everyone stopped the world to see them. This kind of kicked off the greatest franchise in the world. And it started, it really started the superhero craze. I mean, I know we had X-Men, we had Spider-Man, but it was this in the dark Knight, the one, two punch that kicked things off. And who knows if it'll ever be the same again. Well, to highlight where we were at with this series and this franchise, if we're going to take the franchise as the entirety of the MCU, I wouldn't say this is pitiful. I mean, it was the second biggest grossing movie of the year, significantly enough behind the dark Knight, but for obvious reasons. I mean, that was a a huge craze that summer and it felt like the second biggest movie. It made just short of $600 million. So, I mean, comparative to some of the Marvel films, I mean, that's still more than the current Ant-Man is going to make. So it's not like it made pittance, but yes, if we're comparing it to the two infinity movies, then we're probably going to be like, what, a quarter of the overall gross profits, but that's 22 movies in the making that you were trying to build people up for that obviously was going to be something that became so big culturally that it was always going to produce as far as the impact. And I I should have maybe defined the category a little bit for the audience who has never listened to the show before. It's usually within the five years of the initial release, you know, how much does this movie move business and the rest of it? And I do agree. It moves it very highly. 
Is it the number one movie, though, that I would say that moved the needle for the MCU to to move in the direction that it did? I don't think it's number one, but it's in probably the top three. I think from an industry standpoint, not everything moved immediately, but within that five-year period, because, well, I'm trying to just judge this movie based on it, but it spawned two other sequels for just Iron Man and led to eventually the Avengers, which it gave them green lights to kind of expand the universe. Had this movie not worked, had it not been the second highest grossing film of the year, I don't think you get all of those layers. I think it's important to take this movie also somewhat in concert with The Dark Knight because this felt like the lighter, fun, fair compared to The Dark Knight, which was much more gritty. It was grounded. It was real. And so it made two distinct flavors for what superhero movies were going to be. DC was always going to be the much darker, kind of gloomy superhero series, which I don't think people like. And Iron Man and the Avengers was going to be the fun, quippy, lighter stuff that really didn't matter, had somewhat low stakes, and, you know, but it still had good grounded characters, and you spent time with movie stars that you enjoyed. So comparatively, I'm going to go with a 4.5 for the industry. I know, it's weird that, I mean, I... Uh, don't, don't hurt yourself. All right, I'm gonna okay. no, I'm gonna raise it up to a five. I'm I'm gonna raise it up to a five. I think this is probably the second most important as far as impact MCU movie to the Avengers. I think that was the real kicking off point as far as the maneuvering within the industry as to what it was doing. And then you might place the other two movies that capstoned this saga at the tail end of it. Impact on the audience, though, it's the second highest grossing movie of the year. They greenlit two sequels. It's got a decent enough audience score, but, you know, that's going to be for a category at the end here. Just because I want to provide levels of gradation off of it, I just know there are other movies that are going to be higher on the impact score for people and what they think are the most important Marvel movies for them. I see this having some ripples, but not nearly big enough to overcome some of that. I'm going to go a four there for a nine overall. So that would be a 9.5 average between the two of us. Yeah. And plus also the significance of like individual people. Like we talked about on my pod, John Favreau, this movie proved to Disney that he could do something big and he led him to doing the jungle book and Mandalorian. So that had a huge ripple effect. And Robert Downey Jr. was untouchable before this movie. And now he's one of the biggest stars in the world. He has the Sherlock franchise. He did that horrible Dr. Doolittle thing that we don't talk about. Um, but <laughs> he's in Oppenheimer. Like, he's one of the biggest stars in the world now. And and both of them, it's because of this movie. If not for this, who knows what it would have looked like for them. Yeah, but now he's doing what I... He's just trying to piss me off now by remaking Vertigo. Oh, you and your... It's okay to remake things. We can remake things that are ages and decades old. It's okay. You, you can, can still watch can the original remake stuff that isn't classic. You can still watch the original. It's still there. It's not going anywhere, but we can tell My new hard stories. And fast rule is, is don't remake classic dramas. Don't. If you want to remake comedies where you just take the premise and update the jokes, I think that works. But why, why take what is arguably one of the greatest films of all time, or excuse me, what is arguably one of the best films of all time. And 
try and update it with somebody who couldn't hold a candle to Jimmy Stewart. Okay. Well, just wait. The Godfather's coming. I'm telling you, they're going to remake the Godfather oh, in, the, in the in the next no, ten years. No. I guarantee we hear the announcement from uh, is it Paramount? Yeah, it's Paramount. I get within. They're going to have to put me in a straitjacket so I don't jump off a bridge. It's coming. The next no, decade. I'm just you kidding. Heard it here I'm first. just kidding. I'm, I'm <laughs> kidding, everybody. You heard it here first. That's coming in the next ten years. I guarantee you, oh. and I'll love it. Oh. Just just watch the original. It, <laughs> I can just watch the new one. It's fine. I know they've already remade Twelve Angry Men. Oh, they, I haven't seen the remake. I like the original. I never saw the remake. I didn't even know they redid it. Yeah, with Jack Lemmon in the 90s. Uh, they redid Psycho with Vince Vaughn in the 90s. See, I didn't even know these. See, it's Why? fine. Remakes are fine. Why? People don't even know that they exist. It's it's okay. The I mean, Harry there's Potter a Shia LaBeouf ripoff called Disturbia that's basically Rear Window updated. It's Shia LaBeouf. Fine. Put some respect on Shia LaBeouf's name. <laughs> sure. Whatever. <laughs> Let's go to novel. LaBeouf him. Uh, yeah, let's let's go to novelty. Honestly, I uh, I want to give this much higher grades. I think it was novel for superhero movies at the time because of the nature. It felt topical at the moment, but that feels old. Now I get, I know that's getting. How much does that really say to like this is a pretty basic origin film? Yeah, like I'd like to go for kind of a base seven. Mm. I know I give some level of execution points within this movie. So maybe there's an extra half point for just the downiness that we got and being the introduction to the character and him literally being born to play this character. I I think originally the casting was like Leo DiCaprio was in talks to be Iron Man and that just doesn't uh, work. I know Tom Cruise was, was heavily okay. favored. I don't know about DiCaprio, but. I, I'm remembering conversations from like 12 years ago, but even so, there's just nobody else I can really see playing Tony Stark at this point. It, oh, it's God. so married to the character. It's like having anybody but Harrison Ford be Indiana Jones or Han Solo. It just doesn't make sense. Mm. So I'm moving myself up steadily from where originally I had written down. I'm going to go with a 7.5. Okay. All right, cool. The villain's still a little hollow. The story's kind of basic yet, but... You know, introducing to this, creating a tone and a structure that would be reused over and over, it has to count for something. Interesting. 7.5. I actually went with a 6. I, I, I hit this one pretty hard simply because, you know, we had a bunch of superhero movies beforehand. I don't think we had a bunch of very good ones. I'm lower on the X-Men movies than most people. The Spider-Man ones. I think Tobey Maguire is easily the worst Spider-Man we've had. But we had a lot. And plus, a better superhero movie came out two months later than this. So novelty i don't think it did a ton of novelty things it obviously in retrospect it did but if i was looking at this movie in 2008 this movie didn't do a whole lot sure it cast downey which is great and i'm glad they did and you're 100 right no one could play this role tom cruise i love tom cruise but i cannot see him in this role he was the perfect cast a lot of things came together perfectly but in terms of novelty like how different was this from what had come before i, I can't say it was super different no, I, I don't think it was either, but I just look at it in not necessarily comparison to the other superhero films, but within the MCU itself. And even then, it's still pretty vanilla, but I think it needed to be. Yeah, I mean, you couldn't start off with Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania like that just wouldn't work clearly. <laughs> well, right. You have to build off of things and you have to leave it a little bit more generic at the beginning that's more likable and more accessible for more people and then slowly become 
I guess, more niche. But, all right. Classicness is the hardest category we have because it's the the least definable category we have. I think for the most part, we look at things that haven't aged well or that are references that are lost, such as in this movie, I'm going to highlight that the Afghanistan, while it felt very real to the moment, just doesn't feel the same impact as it was at the time or the terrorism nature of things. That was being a key plot of the movie hasn't exactly aged well. There's nothing in this movie that I can see that was ahead of its time necessarily, other than just kind of the tone and structure being created. But since I gave that points in another category, I, I just didn't feel there was anything to upgrade there. The jokes still work for the most part. The beats of this movie, we talked about the scenes in part one of, of the series, I think still are effective. They haven't like become so hokey that it's like watching the original Terminator and you see uh, all the bad graphics when he's like putting his face back on or whatever in the mirror. And it just looks terrible, just awful practical effects by, and especially in comparison to like T2, much different movies. But because of the practical effects of this movie, it doesn't look bad visually for the most part. And you know, the soundtrack you mentioned still hits pretty well because a lot of it's just kind of classic rock pieces. And then it has a little bit of some scoring in there interspliced, but it holds up pretty well. And that's why they kind of reused a lot of those for the other Iron Man movies. I don't know. I, I don't think there's anything ill classic about this. And my baseline usually starts at a seven where you have to be, especially because as movies age, you would figure that there are parts of them, whether intentionally or unintentionally, that just don't age well. So you have a little bit more space with which to grade out those that haven't aged well over time, especially the farther on you get. But as far as being ahead of its time, or at least a timelessness aspect of the movie, again, it's 15 years, so I don't know if timelessness is going to apply for this particular, or frankly, any of the movies we're going to discuss. But I'm going to go with... I would normally just say a straight seven, but I'm going to grant that Downey works so well in this movie. I'm going to push it up to an eight. Okay. All right. All fair points. I went with a seven. The big thing that I knocked this for is the Rhodes recast. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. It really bugs me when they recast. Now I think they hit it out of the park with the recast. I think Cheadle is perfect in the role. I don't think Howard did a bad job by any means, but there's just something about when a character is recast that just doesn't sit right. Like I'm not saying it's their fault. I'm not saying they shouldn't have recast, but it just, I, to me, I ding you if you have to recast. So I took it down a couple points for that. Kind of like going from Katie Holmes to Maggie Gyllenhaal in the dark Knight series, just such a weird like transition. And again, that's another great example. Most of these recasts were better. Like that one, was better. The Hulk, when we get to it, is better. But there's just some... So I'm not saying they shouldn't have done it. I'm glad they did it, but there's just something about I'm watching a character that I'm never going to see again, in a way, that I ding it. And I dinged it for visual effects, not because any of them were particularly bad, except the one shot when Pepper plays Operation, which we talk about that scene in my pod. You can clearly tell that's not his chest, because he is ripped to shit in this movie, and then it's like this very meek, like looks like a body, a chest of a seven-year-old is on Tony Stark. 
but kind of more of the lack of visual effects. Like there's just, there's really no CGI in the movie or there isn't a lot compared to later films, which we could argue later films use too much at Thor Love and Thunder. Um, I think there's a good balance to find in there. Um, So I gave it a seven. All right. I can get that. Again, I just usually started a seven as the baseline, but sure. No, I get all of those are fair points. And I guess things I hadn't necessarily considered. What do you think of the Rhodes recast? What if, like, can we go down the road for a second of they never recast and it's just Terrence Howard? What do you think the ripple effect of that is? Minimal. Does he work? Well, I know that we're supposed to get War Machine yet, but I do feel a little bit more animosity between Howard and and uh, Downey than I did with Cheadle and Downey. To me, it was a, a slight degrees change, but it was enough that like Terrence Howard, it, it feels like they're friends, but it's the friend that you rag on all the time that frustrates you. And there's a clear, like negative emotion. There isn't the closeness that you feel with Cheadle and Downey, where I would actually say the Cheadle Downey chemistry is a little bit closer to Paltrow and Downey, that there's a clear affection for each other that I didn't feel in that first movie. Now, part of that's the writing, and I'm sure that had it gone into the second and third Iron Mans, we could have really matured that relationship. But it just does slightly change it in how it's being played. Mm. It always kills me when he says next time. Yeah. Like, well, no, you're actually never going to get to, but that's fine. Well, it does bug you a little bit because you know in the back of your head, and every time he's on screen, there's there's just a little bit of a awkwardness. But it just takes you out of it for a second. Yeah. But that again, that, you know, he does a fine job in the movie. I, I had no problems. My bigger issue is, is how he's talked about it in public. And I don't know which side I can come down on because I don't know what happened. There's his version of the story and then that's it. Nobody else has really talked about it. Well, I, I mean, I from what I've heard, it's he wanted he expected to be paid more than Downey. It's like, well, I mean, your name isn't in the title, so that's probably not going to happen, buddy. I mean, he was a big star somewhat at the time, or his star was a little bit bigger. Although Downey, I would guess, had a little bit more name recognition, but he was a riskier play. Downey had name recognition for the wrong reasons, but... Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'll give you rewatchability first. I, I don't think this needs much explanation. It's just, this is the most subjective category because we usually base it on our own opinion of how likely are you to rewatch this movie repeatedly? Yeah, I went with an eight, uh, which might seem a little high. It's going to be way higher than the other phase one movies, at least the solo ones Mm -hmm. we'll see with Avengers. But to me, I think this is by far the best movie from this era of MCU, which I bump it up like even more than I would. Like if it was at a seven, it gets extra credit for being so much better than its peers of that time. I mentioned on my pod, I think this is one of the best Tony Stark performances in the MCU. I think you could argue second. I I would put Endgame first, but after that, there's an argument. A great cast, and it's nostalgic. You know, this kind of, even though I didn't see this in theaters and I wasn't into the MCU when this came out, I still, every time I watch it, get goosebumps. It's like, this is the beginning of everything. So I gave it an eight. I think it's a really fun rewatch and an easy watch, too. It's two hours. I give it an eight. I give it all those same beats and pretty much the same points. I just came down at an 8.5 just because of how often I've rewatched it. And I really still don't have a problem putting this on at any point in time. This is one that if I turn on Disney Plus and 
I'm a little bit tired. I don't mind just taking a nap in the middle because there's no point of this movie where I'm ever going to be lost. I've seen it way too many times to, you know, ever lose my place in the story. I know exactly the sequence of everything that happens. And, you know, it's a fun movie. It's an easy cable movie. It's never going to be problematic. So adding in the audience score here, oh, excuse me, I forgot to average the rewatchability for the last category. That's an 8.25 between the two of us. Although for the most part, we've been pretty close on most of our scores. Wait, what did you, you had a seven for classicness and I had an eight. So that's a 7.5 and I don't think I averaged, good God, I'm falling behind on all of my hosting duties here. Uh, So 7.5 average for classicness and actually it was a 6.75 novelty average between the two of us for novelty. So audience score, we had an 87% for Google users and 91% for Rotten Tomato users, giving us an 8.9 audience score for this movie. A little lower than I thought, but not bad. Legacy had an 8.5 average, 9.5 for impact significance, 6.75 for novelty, 7.5 for classicness, 8.25 for rewatchability, and an 8.9 for audience score, giving us a final total of 49.4 total points, and placing it at number one because it's the only movie we've done so far alone by itself. Can it run the table? As staying the number one overall movie? I don't know. That's a good question. Can it go two years at the top? We'll see. So next month, uh, we are discussing the second movie in our crossover podcast with The Incredible Hulk from 2008, directed by Louis Leterrier, written by Zach Penn, starring Edward Norton, Liv Tyler, Tim Roth, and William Hurt. A couple of those characters have actually come back, but they're during either... So William Hurt was only in Civil War again, and Tim Roth came back for the much maligned She-Hulk. But you won't want to miss that one, so watch ahead of the show by searching the Real Good app to find where that movie is streaming for you. That's R-E-E-L-G-O-O-D. Any other points you want to hit as far as the scores before we say goodbye for the month? This is about where I thought it would be. You know, I figured it would be pretty high up there. We talked about on my pod, the chances of this making the Hall of Fame when we're done, I think is pretty high. A lot higher than the next movie we're going to do. I think we'll be think <laughs> Yeah, we'll be I think that's going to be near the bottom. Yeah, I, this is about where I thought it would be. Um, And I always love talking MCU. I think this is going to be a fun project. I'm excited. All right. So that ends our first try at this. Uh, I think next month may be a little bit more fun because of how bad that movie is viewed. But uh, I have not seen it probably in about 15 years. Oh, wow. I did a rewatch for Endgame. And I I forced myself to watch that. So I've seen it twice, I think. Well, for the longest time, I forgot this was part of the MCU. I just thought it was another failed attempt at Hulk, and Hulk just started in the Avengers. You absolutely don't need to watch it. There's nothing. I I know. I know. Hurt came back for Civil War and Black Widow, and I know what's his name is in She Hulk, which is a different conversation for a different day. But there's no reason to watch this. And like we talked about, there's a recast. Like there's just no reason to watch this movie other than this podcast that we're doing. Well, but when Hurt shows up, you're just like, oh, okay. I didn't even remember that he was in that that movie. Really, the only thing I remembered about this movie was Edward Norton was in the lead, but I couldn't remember anything about him. And Tim Roth is Abomination. That was it. Yeah. That was all. But listen to our pod, though. 
Yeah. <laughs> so stay tuned for that one. That that'll be exciting. Where we rip on a movie that probably nobody's seen in fifteen years either. We got a couple bad ones coming up. That's exciting. Two of the two of the worst ones in the MCU are the next two that we're doing. So that's fun. Yeah. And I would argue I would argue three, but I'm different on a certain movie that we're gonna do than others. But No, that's fine. I think there's half and half. I think three of them are at least adequate and watchable. And three are like, eh, you watch them because you kind of have to in order to do a full rewatch. But even I so, agree with that. I, I think they'll that. be fun to discuss, if, if nothing else. The worst ones are the f- most fun ones. Yeah. For sure. Well, that'll do it for us this week. Thank you for listening. Please like, follow, rate, and review, or whatever on whichever platform you have so that more can join in on our fun. You can also email the show at the new RonnieDuncanStudios.com or sign up for our newsletter. Find our new Facebook page under Greatest Movie of All Time Podcast or find us on Instagram, Twitter, or TikTok at the handle at Podcast. The Greatest MCU Movie of All Time is a joint production of Ronnie Duncan Studios and the streaming circuit. This show is mixed, edited, and written by Thomas Duncan. Our music is thanks to Purple Planet Music. Our technical provider and distributor is Captivate FM.